0: Hi there, you love Napa Valley. Napa Valley loves you. What more is there to do right now, Bud? Come on, give a hug, you two. There you go, a little kiss, kiss on the cheek, perhaps. Ah, oh, that is so sweet. Ah, uh, I just, just so happy when I see love bloom like this. Welcome to Judd's Napa Valley show. I am excited about presenting you with today's episode. My guest is Ming Luke, the conductor of Symphony Napa Valley, and I really enjoyed this conversation. This guy is so incredibly passionate and well-spoken and community-minded and artistic and all the things that I just seem to admire in folks, and I had a great time speaking with him, and I know you're just going to dig it too. Before we get to the show, I do want to let you know that, of course... As a thank you for being a listener of Judd's Napa Valley Show, the fine folks at Judd's Hill Winery here in Napa Valley have a special for you. Go on to juddshill.com, see what wines are available, put some in your shopping cart, and at checkout, type in JNVS, that's all in lowercase letters, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, JNVS in your shopping cart. You'll get 15% off your entire wine order. How about that? Not bad at all. And that will be good for, well, that'll just be good for as long as we keep it up there. So go to Judshill.com and get some wine, get a nice deal on it. If you are a member of our Juds Hill Wine Club, you'll get an even better deal than that, of course. If you're not, sign up. You can do that at Judshill.com as well. It's free to join. You'll get great wines, invitations to fun events, all kinds of cool stuff going on with that. As always, I would love for you to come visit us here in Napa Valley at Jud's Hill. Visiting information is also at juddshill.com. I look forward to hosting you, saying hi in person. Come say hey. Sip some wine. Let's have some vino fino. For a good time, come to Judd's Hill. That's all there is to it. Enjoy Ming Luke and today's episode.
1: Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know From witty and intriguing people On Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing. Live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa. Judd's Napa Valley. Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host,
0: Judd Banglesai. Good morning, Lauren Mole. How Top. you doing, man? Doing good, John. Top of the day. Top of the day. What's happening with you, sir? Well, we got the
1: Seasons of Love concert going up or coming up soon for Terry Bradford's Napa Valley community course.
0: Oh, good. When is that happening? Uh December twelfth. December twelfth. And you will be singing in this? Yes, at the Napa Valley Opera House. Oh, wow. Fancy, man. You're going downtown. Fancy, fancy. <laughs> That's Mr. Lauren Mole for you. So you've been singing in this community chorus for some time. I remember you were in the float on the um, on the float during the 4th of July parade. That's right. Uh, and then you've been singing longer than that. Haven't you been involved well, in that? You know, I've only been
1: with them now for, I, gosh, I think... Half a year? No, seven months now. Oh, okay.
0: Because this is our first show of October. It, it, today is the first of October. And I've been with them since March. Well, happy October to you. You too. And you've been with me since March. Uh, April. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I started the show in March, and then you you came on. I, I was lost without you, but I'm so glad you've you've found your seat here as our in studio announcer. Hey, save the show. <laughs> Giving yourself a little credit there, thanks. Now, when you're singing, are you? Um, I mean, you've got this rich kind of deep voice. Are you singing baritone or bass? What is your What is your section? Bass. You are bass. Can you give us a little something? Bass. Oh, okay. Are you gonna sing? Give us a little um, melody that you do in the chorus? Not right now. Not right now. Save it for the show. Save it for the show. All right. Okay. So that is coming up in December. We will continue to keep folks aware of when that will be. The Terry Bradford Community Chorus, always a good job. And uh, some other fun events that are coming up uh, for me, anyhow, and I hope that the folks listening will join in. Our big party of the year over at Jud's Hill Winery is coming up on December 8th, so just a few days before your big concert, Lauren, is our annual Hanukkah Hootenanny. If you want to come over to Jud's Hill, we'll have a great time. Mashuga Beach Party, Jelly Donuts, Latkes, Dreidel Tournament, Fine wines, and uh, it all benefits the Children's Health Initiative, Napa County, making sure that all the kids who live in our community have health insurance, which is a great thing. And then before that, so coming up at the end of this month on October 28th, I'm very, 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 I'll say it one more time, very excited about this one. You know, Lauren, we have this web series called Wine Booty. You even announced our live taping of it once back in April. That's right. Yeah, so... Every few months, we debut a new episode. It's a wine-centric and food-centric talk show that I host. It's a video series and has a pirate theme, hence Wine Booty. And for folks who want to tune in, check out at WineBooty.com. So we are having the big gala premiere debut of our next episode of Wine Booty coming up October 28th. It's a Monday night. It's going to be tons of fun, and it's not going to be at our winery. It's going to be at 1313 Main, you know, the very hip, cool wine bar and now uh, restaurant too, Lulu's Kitchen there ah. here in downtown Napa. And th- it is going to be also a fundraiser for breast cancer. 1313 Main, every October has um, their Breast Cancer Awareness Month and has parties. And this is going to be the big party. So again, I'm going to say it Monday, October 28th. It's going to be from 6.30 to 9.30. 100% of the proceeds are going for the Cancer Center at Queen of the Valley Medical Center, focusing on breast cancer. Come on out. I'm going to be there. It's pirate-themed. We're debuting the show, and it's $75 per person. That is going to include wine. It's going to include food from their Lulu's Kitchen right there. And if you would like to get tickets, folks, The link is now live. You're the first people to find out about this. We just put this together and uh, nailed down the details yesterday. So actually, if you go to 1313main.com, that's 1313main.com, there will be a link for tickets. They're $75 per person, Monday, October 28th. See the new show. Play everyone's favorite reality uh, series live. The live version of Buccaneer Bachelor will be going on. And uh, food and wine. It's going to be a great time. Dress like a pirate. Get ready for Halloween. Wow. Shall we begin the show? Sure, Judd.
1: Leading the band is this guy's main thing. Got a symphony? Need a conductor? Give him a ring. Musical stories. Today he did bring. Let's welcome right now, Luke, comma, Ming. Ming Luke,
0: everybody. Hey, <laughs> Ming Luke. That was a great introduction, Lauren. <laughs> Ming Luke, world-renowned symphonic conductor, performer, joining us here in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Judd. Yeah, man, it's good to see you. I'm so glad you could uh, join us here and talk music. We're going to hear a little music, and I want to find out a little bit about what's happening in Napa Valley, because um, this is this is sort of a new thing. We had a symphony for a long time.
2: Yes, one of the oldest symphonies in the U.S. Actually, Is the Napa that right? Valley Symphony. Yeah, it's very tragic when it uh, um, had to close shop in 2012. But we've been working hard, very uh, much for the last year or so, developing our new symphony. And of course, we had our fantastic debut on September 21st uh, of Symphony Napa Valley, and uh, we have another concert on October 6th.
0: And that's going to be at Lincoln Theater.
2: It's going to be at the Lincoln Theater. It's going to be all about pops music. It's all about movies. So we have uh, music from Harry Potter, Star Wars, Star Trek. We have some Disney films. It's a lot of wonderful stuff.
0: All right. So that's coming up October 6th at Lincoln Theater, which is the new home of Symphony Napa Valley, of which you are the conductor. Yes. And if folks want tickets to that, LincolnTheater.com. LincolnTheater.com. Easy as that. So... You know what happened? How did the symphony come back to life? It, it was quite sad when. 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 What year was it that the symphony kind of met its demise here in Naples? 2012. Oh, that it went away.
2: Yeah, when it officially
0: went bankrupt it was 2012. Oh, for some reason I've, I was thinking it was a little further back than that. So we haven't. Been that long with that one. Well, how did you get involved to revitalize it and bring it
2: back? Well, I think that it was paired with the also closing shop of the Lincoln Theater too, mm-hmm. and it was a very tragic year because 2012, the Lincoln Theater had to cease operations, and the Symphony officially went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. But at that point, Michael Madden, the executive director, started reformulating um, the business plan and trying to figure out tried to figure out a way to really make arts thrive in the Valley, you know, and use the theater as a vehicle. For that, and it's really hard because you know Napa, for you know its reputation for huge wealth and whatnot, is really not that large of a population. That's right. And so the theater has 1,200 seats. It's actually quite a large theater for the population size in the valley. And so in order for the theater to survive, in order for the theater to thrive, it has to be relevant to the community. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people are just not going to go. And so the new philosophy for the theater and thus the symphony too is to create programming that's really in collaboration with community partners. Now, everybody says that, but in reality, what we're doing is taking that to the nth degree. And so every single concert has an affiliate with whom we work. Every single concert, for instance, for the symphony, has some theme and connection directly to community groups that perform and are involved in the program. And of course, we have a new program called the Orchestra Institute Napa Valley, which has 10 postgraduate musicians that are living in the Napa Valley year-round, teaching, performing, and working. With various arts organizations, and that's a really innovative program, one of the first in the country. And it started right here in Napa as a way for the theater to reach out to various organizations directly as well as perform in the symphony.
0: That's wonderful. You know me, I, I just love hearing about community involvement. Can you give me some examples of how that works? First of all, how you partner with. Um, organizations in the community, and then also about this music uh, teaching program. I'd sure. love to hear about this. And
2: so the Orchestra Institute in Napa Valley. There's ten fellows, and you know, 20% of them are international, which means two, right? Um, <laughs> but they're from some of the best schools around the country, including uh, um, uh, Curtis, Yale, USC, Indiana, some of the best music schools. And they were chosen through this competitive process. And as I mentioned before, they live in the Napa Valley year-round. They're housed up at Pacific Union College. And mm-hmm. so what they do is they have four aspects of their program. They're performers, first and foremost, and so they perform in the symphony. They have a chamber music series up at PUC. They perform in various other uh, institutions, including uh, several of them were involved in Palo Alto this past weekend. They're performing in Berkeley Symphony, and so they perform quite a bit as performing artists. The second thing, which is also really important, is that they engage in professional development for themselves, especially coming out of school, preparing themselves for the real world as a performer some of the more practical aspects like how do you file a tax as an independent contractor? How do you self-market? How do you develop a website? How do you create recordings? You know, uh, a lot of the things that actually, frankly, you are really fantastic at, you know, is creating a presence as an artist and as a a person in the community. And then third, um, they they engage with a lot of various community groups. But most importantly, they also engage in a lot of education. And so you asked about how they engage with various groups Mm -hmm. in the community, for instance, at uh, NVLA, Napa Valley Language Academy. They're involved in expanding Napa Valley Language Academy's El Sistema program where they have all 700 students in the entire school learning a musical instrument. And so is that right? Yeah. No,
0: Napa Valley Language Academy is, a, is an elementary school.
2: Yes, elementary school, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade. And they're there four out of five days a week coaching, teaching the kids in both group lessons as well as individual lessons, and they work hand in hand with the school to try to bring music, again, for every one of the 700 kids to play a musical instrument, not just to play for them, not just to talk about music, mm-hmm. but for those students to actually have an instrument in their hand and perform music. And that's just one example. They are also uh, involved with Salvador Elementary, which is another elementary school, K-6, mm-hmm. that has a program that's funded by the Leonard Burns Foundation, where they have an arts integration program called Artful Learning. And so the members of the Orchestra Institute Napa Valley go to Salvador Elementary, and they work with those students to pair music with the general curricula that they have, integrating it alongside with art, movement, science, math, reading. And so at both these elementary schools, they have a very, very high impact. They're also teaching col- uh, courses at PUC. They're also engaging and, and coaching uh, youth members of the Napa Valley Youth Symphony, their preparatory ensembles, Wind Symphony, and Sinfonia, and that's sort of one of the ways, major ways that this program, this particular program, is engaging with various members of the community. That's but, amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> very exciting. incredible. Yeah, it's really exciting, especially because this is just one program of many programs at the theater. And so the theater is really trying to establish itself as a good resource and a hub for education, arts education in the entire valley. And so there's a fantastic program by Leila Agi called the Napa Rights, which has a goal of having every single Napa uh, student write uh, a screen play book, you know, or a major, um, uh, uh, writing project by the time they graduate high school. Mm -hmm. We have dance workshops who are done in collaboration with the various dance companies uh, and dance schools in the Valley. And of course, you know, there's music programs. There's a lot of offerings that the theater is trying to open up to make sure that the theater is a resource for the community.
0: I'm very happy to hear that. You know, it was, it was sad when it closed down because it's such a beautiful venue. And it it was, you know, it's in the heart of Napa Valley and they were getting great performers to come through and it was just exciting to have. So, I mean, I just couldn't be more pleased. And I think I speak for pretty much everyone in the community that you are back. The theater is back. The symphony is back. And we're bringing back some vibrancy, which is which is exciting. Hooray. Fantastic. So, folks, go out October 6th. See the show. Now, you yourself uh, are not originally from this area. You're from back east, correct? Yes, I grew up in New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah, Jersey boy. Jersey. How did you How did you get into music? Is your family musical? Did you just start playing? Is it just? part of who you are and your folks recognize that? Or
2: how did it begin for you? Well, music has always been important to my family. Uh, we actually all started piano lessons exactly the same time. I was three years old. My parents were, of course, older. Yeah, but uh, there's lots of pictures of us at piano recitals um, playing uh, trios or duets, you know, with my parents and I. Did they but not I play it before that? They didn't play music before that. So they did it for you? Yeah, they did it. It was really, for them, but really exciting the for them. Going. They still have the same piano teacher. And uh, um, I'm going oh, really? to be, Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> So all this time. And so uh, I'm going to be conducting in New York pretty soon. And so my original piano teacher is going to be attending one of those performances. Oh, it's how exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. What are you conducting? Um, I'm conducting at Lincoln Center, uh, some ballet with San Francisco Ballet. Um, and it's going to be a mixed repertory program. Mark Morris, famous choreographer, mm-hmm. has a piece called Bow. There's Alexei Ratmansky, who's another phenomenal choreographer who just won a MacArthur um, Award. Um, he uh, had a piece uh, commissioned by Sir Francisco Ballet called uh, From Foreign Lands, and they're going to be in residence at the Lincoln uh, Center um, from October 12th to the 28th, uh, as well as performing uh, 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 Wheeled-In Cinderella, too. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fantastic program. So.
0: Sounds great, but really, no big whoop. Just Lincoln Center <laughs> in New York, and yeah, no, no biggie. So that's, 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 that's incredible. Good. Um, you... But you really took off. I mean, you played piano and stuck with it, obviously showed some talent. And am I right? Did I read you actually performed at Carnegie
2: Hall, New York City, by at the age of 18? Yes, yeah. And so, wow. you know, my parents, um, they knew they had... Uh, you know, opened Pandora's box when they took me to a <laughs> wedding once, and I was still three years old. I just started piano lessons, and apparently, because I don't re- actually remember this, but I sat down in front of the string quartet that was engaged for the wedding reception, and I sat there for 90 minutes straight, basically not moving, just with my jaw open watching them, and so they knew that they had a problem at that point, and so at that point, <laughs> you know, piano was my favorite instrument. I used to play it all the time. I used to try to play the jingles on the TV, you mm-hmm. know, I used to play. All the video game music I used to play, uh, um, just about everything, all this classical repertoire, and it became something that was it was a, a very part of my um, um, being. But I didn't realize that you know re- you could really go to uh, and have a career in music, and so it became to that point where you know I entered some competitions, and as you mentioned, I um, was lucky enough to uh, win a competition that allowed me to have a recital at Carnegie Hall, yeah. um, quite young, and. At that point, it was a critical point in my, you know, life. You know, high school graduation. Yeah, eighteen be, years old. What, what
0: path what are you going to do?
2: You know, and so it was it, my. I've already played Carnegie Hall. What do I do now? <laughs> but you know, my my parents uh, are a mathematician and a scientist. Uh huh. And they're very supportive of any direction that I would uh, take. And so for musicians, especially, as a lot of people know, you know, the earlier start, the better. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, things were going really well musically. Things were going well for chemistry. I did a lot of research when I was young. And so... I decided to try out music first and basically say, if I really think that there, this is such an important part of my life, this is something that I need to dedicate some time to and explore. Yeah. And it turned out to be the perfect, perfect uh, path for me. Because, you know, the college that I went to for undergrad, which is Westminster Choir College, is the resident choir for the New York Philharmonic, for oh. Philadelphia Orchestra and New Jersey Symphony. It's, you know, one of the two major choir schools, the other one being St. Olaf's. And so um, it was a opening, um, eye-opening for me, not only because of the level of musicianship, but also the fact that there's all these fantastic performers that you run into that obviously are making a career in music, yeah. and that's the first time I got into conducting, is because you saw the conductor as a conduit for the performer's energy and the audience. It wasn't this uh, outdated model nowadays that people think of the maestro being this dictator on the podium, you know, and yelling in Italian just because, you know, <laughs> music is Italian. Can you um, yell in Italian? I can yell in Italian. Okay, good. At least, my... Okay, you got that skill.
0: But you don't wield it too often.
2: No, no. no. Well, okay. you have to, you know, take it out every now and then, I suppose. But you know, so that begs the question. You know, what does it take to be a good
0: conductor? You know, every year I go, um, I accompany the kids' school to the San Francisco Symphony that does their kids' concert. It's really cute. It's about, I don't know, 45 minutes long, and conductor stands there and he explains about what how the different instruments sound and they play solos and how you can tell stories through music. Um, but you know what? The kids still ask, well, what does he do? You know, they see him waving his arms and, you know, I think, I think I know it's somebody who kind of interprets the music and guides the musicians. And as you said, acts as that conduit. And I suppose probably has to interpret maybe what the composer was thinking about when it was written. But what's your take? What is, what does the conductor do? What real function I know it's it's a very important function but in your mind what is that function
2: you know it's really funny because of all the people in the orchestra we're the only ones that don't make a single sound and that's what' know? one
0: of the kids said he, he's not playing an instrument what he's just waving yeah. why is he you know can play without him
2: especially a, a San Francisco symphony level you know they have the music in front of them uh-huh. you know it's not necessary that the conductor needs to tell them when to come in for uh-huh. me you know it's a very simple the conductors sole job is to be able to make the orchestra members play at their best mm-hmm. to make them comfortable enough that they can, can do what they need to do to make sure the musical performance is the best they can. Now, that obviously includes making sure that the identity of the piece, the approach like you mentioned, is, is singular. It is that it's one vision on how loud you're going to get, let's say. If the trombones decide that they're going to go really, really loud, but the strings <laughs> decide that they're only going to go a little bit loud, that's obviously going to be a big discrepancy. So the conductor can obviously try to make sure that the music musical um, approach is very is, is similar mm-hmm. and to make sure that the orchestra players can play together, especially when there's tempo changes. And the whole idea of trying to interpret the piece is very, very important because you have 70 world-class musicians or phenomenal, phenomenal instrumentalists yeah. that are all there with their own ideas. How do you get that to be, get them on the same page? How do you get them to perform a single piece in the same way? And nowadays, since orchestras don't have the luxury of rehearsing too much months. Most professional orchestras rehearse approximately three days before the concert. That's it. Three days? Yes. Our concert that's on October 6th at the Lincoln mm-hmm. Theater. We're going to have our first rehearsal on Friday. And we have no rehearsals on Saturday. And our second rehearsal on the morning of that concert. Really? That's it. And so it's that's professional musicians. That's exciting. I mean, it almost sounds like, you know, punk rock here. Let's just go play. You yeah. Know? Who well, knows what's going to happen? They've spent, these musicians have spent hours. I mean, you know, the normal number that you throw around is like 10,000 hours becoming an expert at your field right Mm -hmm. and they've spent more than that to focusing on trying to make sure that their instrument is a true expression of what their you know musical identity is and to the technical level that they can play just about everything and so when they get music in front of them it's more about let's just put this together come together with an idea and to make sure that it can be exciting and as thrilling as possible
0: well that makes a lot of sense uh, you know it makes me think that the conductor must be somebody whom those musicians since they are at that incredibly high professional level the conductor must be somebody that they have the utmost respect for or else they're not going to pay attention to you you know there's gonna they're going to do their own thing or just grumble about you so how does the conductor instill that respect i mean you obviously have done that and you're a young guy so it's not like well he's you know he has seniority he must know what he's Talking about I know that's kind of a false argument, but, you know, you're very youthful. How, how do you show these musicians that you are the guy to listen to? Does it take, you know, copious amounts of research on the composers and the pieces? Does it – it's not yelling in Italian, so what is it that you do to, to uh, you know, get them to
2: obey? <laughs> well, the the key thing is that they need to trust you. And with any relationship, if you break that trust in any way by telling them things that are overtly wrong or by taking tempos that they just know are incorrect, mm-hmm. you can lose trust with a, with the musicians instantly. And typically, it's like it's like a first date. Sometimes the first five minutes will just tell you so much. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And so, you know, I was recently, in a sense, uh, a colleague of mine was working with an organization. And within five minutes, it was just almost a lost cause. Oh. And the musicians... We, we, we normally say they can play eighty five percent of the music perfectly well without a conductor mm-hmm. if they need to completely block out what what 's happening on the podium, they can still play and have a great concert. However, the conductor can add that extra fifteen percent that's gonna make the concert absolutely thrilling or if they're really bad they can actually pull the orchestra's you know abilities down and get in their way of making music, you know Wow how does that happen? Well it, I mean like if they're if they're going along let's say with a steady tempo and the conductor's simply dragging them down, it takes a long time because these musicians are trained really to to subtly respond to what's happening on the podium. Mm. And if they have to actively disengage from the podium, it's a very disconcerting uh, feeling for huh. them. You know so for conductor it's really about again being the fount of knowledge for all things you know the from the history of the piece the um, every every last piece bit of music that's written down in the score needs to be known inside and out Mm. because there is going to be a question from some of the musicians that says you know how would you like this would you like this shorter or longer and if you don't have an answer it means you haven't thought about the piece and they likewise uh, don't have as much respect you know it's just it's because of the efficiency that's needed in orchestras today you know the conductor needs to be the one that drives the process of the rehearsal and make sure that happens in a quick and efficient way and if that doesn't happen then musicians tend to Uh, um, start to tune out. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So you got three days of rehearsal. How much
0: time are you spending looking at the pieces and really getting to be intimate with them before you go in for the rehearsals?
2: (laughs) Yeah, decades. It it depends on pieces. You know, Mm -hmm. for instance, if it's a Brahms symphony or how about this, the Strauss, the four last songs that he wrote at his deathbed, basically, that talk about utter reflection. When I was... I was, I think, 20 years old when I took this into my conducting teacher, who was at that point, you know, multiple Grammys, had a huge storied career, Mm. was at the end of his, you know, career, he was in his 70s. And he looked at me and said, how would you ever understand the feelings that Strauss had when he wrote this,
0: as he's laying dying, and you're this yeah, and young you're this dude, young yeah.
2: upstart that has mm-hmm. no idea about the whole arc of a life of a career, and so you know people say that about Brahms symphonies, the way you approach a Brahms symphony when you're 17, with the way you approach anything, you know when you're 17, it's going to be completely different than when you're 30, completely different than when you're 60, and so it takes a it takes a long time to sit with pieces, it takes a long time to 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 figure out you know really what the composer is trying to say. You know, and certain things are a little bit lighter. You know, Mozart wrote a lot of party pieces. You know, he he was engaged a lot for background music. Party and pieces. He, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, like the posthorn serenade. It's the horn that mail carriers used to use around. And so, for college graduation, he wrote a whole thing that's like 40 minutes long called the posthorn serenade that uses this mail horn. You know, uh, <laughs> you know the, that people had on horses with their you know bags of carrying mail, and use it as a party trick, right? And so now it's you can go to a concert hall and have a very serious performance of the post-horn serenade. But in reality, you know, Mozart spent a lot of time almost making a joke with that. And so if you take the same sort of approach where I'm going to sit and think about Mozart's genesis of this work. You know, it's just a completely wrong approach. If you don't come into it with this idea of wit and, you know, excitement and just laughter, frankly, Mm -hmm. you know, then it's going to be silly. There's this fantastic uh, symphony by uh, Haydn Mm -hmm. called the Farewell Symphony. And it was written because Haydn's employers, Esker Hazi's, this brilliant, brilliant uh, and very rich uh, family that loved the arts, they used to go to their summer home. Um, or winter home. It was one of their vacation homes. And they would take the entire court. They'd take their musicians. Everybody would go. And eventually... Sure, you know, the huge, Yeah. And, and Haydn, with his musicians, they were there for months and said, you know, we've been away from our family for a really long time. So Haydn decided to write the symphony where the very last moment members of the orchestra actually will get up out of their seat and just leave. That's written into the Into, score? The, mu- into the music. <laughs> and so, eventually you're just left with a few violins on stage <laughs> and it was this big clue to that Sir Hazy saying, we'd like to go home now, Is <laughs> this possible. You know, so And there's a, a lot of things like that. If you take again, the same sort of series, like I'm going to think about my life's work in Haydn. No, I mean, like every single piece requires a certain amount of preparation. You know, this concert that we have, October 6th at the Lincoln Theater, mm-hmm. all about moving music, right? Well, what are you going to do for research? If I'm going to do play Harry Potter, right, I'm not going to sit there with a metronome and just sit there and compare it to Brahms. I'm going to sit there and watch the movie. Watch the movie, sure. You know? What is this character? Voldemort's theme, you know? There I look Voldemort, at Voldemort, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, you know, th- th- when I first looked at that part, I'm like, I don't remember the music at that section. And it's a fantastic part. The piece that we're playing, it's a complete... Themes from all eight of the movies. Oh, right. And the whole suite. It's a whole journey through, you know, like it's it's almost its own story. So Voldemort appears, and all of a sudden the music gets creepy, and then the next theme, you know, it would be Harry trying to triumph over, over you know over evil. It's a fantastic whole journey, as if you had a little synopsis of the entire movie, you know, I mean the movie series, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a lot of um. I don't know music can be a lot of fun. The sure. different approaches depend on the type of repertoire. Gosh. Well, Maestro
0: Ming Luke, we're gonna take a quick break. We're going to hear more about you. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happening and um, and hear the story of Symphony Napa Valley, of which you are the conductor. So, Lauren, let's take a little break. We'll be back with more of this special
1: symphonic Judd's Napa Valley show right after these messages. La, 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 la. Everyone's a finkle friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now back to Napa Valley's ambassador of good times, fine wines,
0: and lame rhymes, <laughs> John Bengalside. Wow, Lauren, I think you blew my ears out on that one. I got these <laughs> headphones turned up. That was good. Lame rhymes, yeah. fine times, yeah, good times, fine and- wines. Lame rhymes Yeah, that's me Just summed it up We are here with somebody Who is not lame in the least It's Ming Luke Conductor Extraordinaire Symphony Napa Valley And formerly of the Napa Valley Youth Symphony As well Yes. Okay, yes. I want to make sure you, you're just kind of looking, looking at me like, oh, for did I get eight
2: years or so? Yeah. And I
0: think that's when I first met you, and uh, <laughs> you were doing that. We always do a um, event every year at at Sill Winery, yeah. the, uh, you've the been very springtime the bonanza event. that benefits the U Symphony. And I'm just so glad you're here, because you know we've met before, and I admire what you do, but I've never, you know, got to sit down and hear your story, which is fascinating. So, you just mentioned while we were off the air that, well, we talked on the air how you've performed at Carnegie Hall as a piano soloist. Uh, but the Youth Symphony is heading there
2: this year. They it's are. Cool. So they're going to be performing at Carnegie Hall for the second time. Oh, no kidding. They performed there wow. in 2008 when I was a music director. They uh, now have a new music director, a fantastic guy. His name is Ryan Murray. He is out of Sacramento and is a phenomenal conductor, very exciting for the students. And they're going to be performing at Carnegie Hall at the end of this year in the summer.
0: Wow, wonderful. Well, you New Yorkers who tune in, get this via podcast you can check that out um you know i want to ask you about about how you got to Napa you're from the east coast and you've traveled the world playing music conducting music what what got you here to Napa Valley
2: well, it's a job. I, my first conducting job out here was with the Sacramento Philharmonic, and the Sacramento Philharmonic is a fantastic per-service orchestra. It's a it's a small regional orchestra mm-hmm. uh, conducted by Michael Morgan, and he gave me my first job as a conductor, mm. as an assistant there for a few years, and then I started working for the Napa Valley Symphony. And so Asher Raboy, the conductor for the music director for the Napa Valley Symphony, engaged me as a, a an as associate conductor as well as the music director for the Napa Valley Youth Symphony at a time, the Napa Valley Symphony Youth Orchestra. Oh, okay. And so that's how I got to work with the students for a while. But, of course, I started working with various organizations throughout the the Bay Area. Um, now, um, you know, I, I work with uh, Opera San Jose, San Francisco Ballet, um, Berkeley Symphony, um, various groups all over the place. And, and now you're...
0: Um I mean, your focus, I guess, right now is Symphony Napa Valley. I mean, yes. it sounds like you're working around. I'm kind of curious. You know, this is Napa Valley's symphony. It's here at the Lincoln Theater in Yountville. Who are the performers? Are they... A lot of locals? Are they driving in from Greater Bay Area? Who, who's playing in the Symphony Napa Valley? So
2: we tried to make sure that we were very careful to figure out the best way to make the symphony thrive. And so we basically started from scratch. And there are three groups of musicians that we took uh, to try to create Symphony Napa Valley. First and foremost are those musicians that live in the Napa Valley or work in the Napa Valley as musicians. And so we have phenomenal people that are here. Yasushi Agora happens to be the same concert master from the Napa Valley symphony but he's been the head coach for the Youth Symphony for many years, he has students in the Valley, mm-hmm. he works at Jarvis Conservatory, performing for you know, uh, their oh, yeah. productions he's and whatnot. He's been an integrated part of the community. He's for big long around time. here. Yeah. yeah. But some people that weren't part of the Napa Valley Symphony, like Rochelle Davis, who's the head of the music department at PUC, uh, Maria Hoyles, who is the cello instructor at NVLA. You know, we have Peggy Brady, who, is, who was a member with the Napa Valley Symphony, has a fantastic uh, uh, string quartet. Strings Eloquence, who plays at a lot of events throughout the Valley and, of course, is a string teacher. Uh, Laura Levin, all these people that are, are members and part of the Napa community. Those are the musicians, first and foremost. Mm. The second, as I was mentioning before in the first half, we were talking about this Orchestra Institute in Napa Valley. Some of the best postgraduate musicians from across the country and around the world, you know, um, people that have doctorates from Stony Brook or USC or Indiana, you know, master's degrees at the very least, you know. And so they live here in the valley year round and they represent 10 people of our orchestra. And so those first two parts are really, really important. And then third, of course, we have some of the best musicians from the Bay Area that we can find. You know, our uh, principal second, Alana Thomas, has soloed with the San Francisco Symphony. Our principal violist, Lynn uh, Richberg, has played in 300 movie soundtracks. Wow! And she gets flown down to perform at the Emmys and the Grammys, you know, every year or whatnot. So we try to find some of the best performers that we can. So we really have as much from the Napa community as we can, all the musicians we mm-hmm. can find. Um, these Orchestra Institute, one of the the core philosophical missions of connecting to the community for the theater as well as the symphony. And then, of course, rounding out the entire orchestra, the be- some of the best musicians we can find.
0: Wow, man. Well, you certainly talk a good talk, but, you know, the proof is in the performance. You brought along a track. Should we give it a
2: listen? Yeah, this is from our this is from our first concert, which is September 21st, the opening debut gala. This is the Firebird Suite by mm-hmm. Stravinsky, and the firebird of course, the phoenix. We thought it would be appropriate that with symphonic music coming back to the valley that we'd have the phoenix rise again.
0: Oh yeah, very appropriate. So this is live. This is recorded this is live. Yeah, this in the Lincoln, Lincoln Theater. Recorded. Yep. Symphony Napa Valley with the Firebird Suite. Little excerpt here. Let's check it out. Or maybe we're not going to check it out. I'm going to uh, see what's going on here with the... Uh with the uh, CD player. But uh, do you want to tell us, do you, just a little background on the Firebird Suite while I'm checking that up?
2: Sure. Stravinsky was famous for his ballets, of course, and he had a uh, fantastic relationship with this uh, producer, Diaghilev, and the Ballet Russe uh, in Paris. And so the Rite of Spring is a very famous ballet. Just had its 100th year anniversary in 2013. Wow. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Performances of Rite of Spring all over the place. And it, the first time it was performed, it was a, there was a riot. The the audience members knew nothing about what was going on on stage. They didn't understand the music. They didn't understand the costumes. They didn't understand the dancing. And they actually rioted. And Stravinsky was sort of a firebrand. But this Firebird Suite is very, very famous. It's an entire ballet, and there's various compilations that have been put together. There's a suite of 1910. There's a suite of 1945. But the most popular and most played one is the one from 1919 and includes a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, colorful range of, of movements. Um, the Firebird um, <clears throat> itself is this shrieking, obviously large bird of, of, of fire and flame, and it writes music for it absolutely brilliantly. This last part is the final rising and the um, uh, um, the exciting, you know, finale. All
0: right. Well, I think we got it worked out. Let's check it out.
2: You can always, uh, obviously, hear the Symphony Live again. As we mentioned, October 6th at 3 o'clock at the Lincoln Theater, you can see the Symphony Live performing uh, pops music. So,
0: yep, that's October 6th. And tickets available at LincolnTheater.com. You've traveled the world. Music has been kind of your ticket to see what's up on the planet Earth. How's that been? How long have you been? getting to do stuff like that, you know, travels and giving concerts internationally.
2: Oh, it's been great. I mean, this last year has been a sort of a whirlwind and I think the best part is seeing how different cultures approach music. Um, I had the recent opportunity to go to Moscow to work with the Bolshoi Orchestra. Wow! And their range of dynamics alone was worth the entire trip. You know, they played pianissimos, the quietest sound you could have in an orchestra, so quietly, it was, if I breathed loudly, it would cover up the Orchestra, and likewise, they had such power that it, it was almost overwhelming. And it was really fantastic to work on. I worked on a bunch of Russian literature with them, uh, Romeo and Juliet by Prokofiev, you know, Shostakovich wow. piano concerto, yeah. and to hear them play um, the range of sounds that they, you know, they obviously know the music inside and out, uh, was was eye-opening for me. You know, but I think that various cultures have their various ways of approaching music. I worked had my London debut um, at Sadler's Wells uh, with San Francisco Ballet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Birmingham Royal and they had such a different approach to music it was so so much of a wonderful experience you know um, a course of mine went to uh, Hungary uh, as well as the Slovak Republic and the Czech Republic and uh, where else was this year Paris is coming up this coming summer um, as we mentioned DC uh, DC this past year as well too so
0: man you you get around um, how do you how should I phrase this I mean when you're out, Internationally, I mean, obviously, you're representing us folks here, Napa Valley, U.S., you know, regional. Um, but music certainly transcends the borders. But you're also an ambassador. So how do you – do you kind of approach the music in a different way if you're out of the country or out of your, you know, home turf? Like, well, how do you connect with the people and what do you hope to – Achieve by connecting with them.
2: Well, that's the best part is that you know music. Deep down, we all you know feel music together. We all know the repertoire together. You're working with Bolshoi. Half of them don't speak English. I certainly don't speak Russian or enough Russian to you know uh, um, uh, not to be laughed at. You can and yell so, in Italian though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know they they were used to a much more authoritarian presence on the podium. And so when we're working in music, it's the same thing. Um, as long as the first 15 minutes you under, we you give a presence that you're there to make music, and you have a job to do, which is to try to get the music to be its best at the end of the rehearsal, then they start working together. And it's just the same thing as working with any other new group of people. You want to establish trust, you want to make music together, and it's just, it's it was really great. The language difference, uh, um, you know, I had an interpreter there, and so everything had to be, you know, the rehearsal had to stop, translate uh, what I said into Russian, they would respond, <laughs> you know, I had questions. <laughs> but when it comes down to it, if it's possible to not even have speaking any speaking whatsoever and just make music with them i think that it was, was the most effective way
0: and does it does it get to that point you know once maybe you've translated a few things and given some of your ideas opinions and direction does it get to a point where then no words are spoken. It's just yeah, in the music you can, and your yeah, gestures. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of wonderful conductors that do uh, rehearse specifically through their gestures. Wolfgang who who is this phenomenal conductor for Philadelphia Orchestra for a long time, that's one of the first lessons that I learned from him. Uh, watching him is during rehearsals. You could see him rehearsing the orchestra without saying a single word and not having to stop. And if he did have to stop, it was something that was significant and very, very overarching in, you know, in how it changed the sound. But for the most part, he could show everything through his hands. And you have a lot of conductors that, you know, maybe they don't have great technique, but they speak really well. Then, of course, they need to you know, verbally talk about what they're doing. But primarily, you know, our craft is with our hands and you know, in, our, in our bodies. And so trying to portray the music, not only for the audience, but obviously for the orchestra, uh, in rehearsal as well as performance, is, you know, the more effective you can be, the better.
0: Um, I think that's really just amazing to be able to convey all that through through motions and emotions and certainly makes, as an audience member, exciting. As you said, you're that conduit. Um, you know, you've been mentioning a lot of folks in the business, the, the music biz, uh, conductors, musicians. And, you know, I think you probably know that the, probably the vast majority of folks don't understand classical music. We're kind mm. of in a pop music world. Are there some resources, some musicians, recordings, conductors that you would recommend folks to visit, to go check out, go order CDs, records, iTunes, anything, download, websites? Let's get folks interested. Where where would you send them?
2: So, So the best place to go right now is actually YouTube because what ends up happening is that there have been hundreds of thousands of recordings of of great performances by orchestras you know over the last few decades and a lot of them have been out of print they've been out of copyright and the mm-hmm. rights have been released as a result there's some phenomenal recordings that have been placed on YouTube where they're available for everybody wow. you know everybody thinks that orchestras you know especially in the valley because of our h- recent history but that orchestras have been struggling and that nobody's going to see audiences i mean nobody's going to see orchestras nowadays but but symphonic music is heard by more people now than it ever has, and one of the things is that people don't realize that they hear symphonic music all the time. Every single time they go see a movie, oh, yeah. there's a full symphony orchestra generally that's been created. As, as I mentioned, you know, our principal violist has been performing 300 you know movie soundtracks. Oh. We have you know um, um, uh, George Lucas uh, and his his recording studio, Skywalker Ranch, is in Marin. It's in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, we have musicians that are in the orchestra. And, of course, in the Wider Bay area, they perform for soundtracks all the time. They make their living primarily for it. And as we mentioned, you know, this concert that we have this coming Sunday is all about that music that people hear all the time. John Williams, the most famous movie composer, writes classical music. You know, if you like his movie music, he has, he has a tubo, tuba concerto. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's 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 crazy. It's fantastic. He has a lot of, he was a conductor of, uh, all, as well for the Boston Pops, which is the Boston mm-hmm. Symphony, you know, primarily. And so, you know, the crossover Copeland, Bernstein, Shostakovich all wrote movie music. And so, you know, uh, um, if you want Leonard Bernstein's music, I mean, he's one of the great American composers, conductors, musicians. Yeah. And his music is just super exciting. It's jazzy sometimes times, it can be really um, off the cuff, you know, I mean, he wrote all different types of music, and so I think researching, you know, through what may be familiar first, you know, we hear classical music on commercials all the time you know you hear these phenomenal arias that are very famous and you know maybe they're selling spaghetti sauce but you know that <laughs> you know you know that aria that's from you know johnny skiki you know um and it's just i think that people are not as aware that they're very familiar actually with classical music they just might have this perception that it can be snobby or whatnot which we try to really dispel because classical music for me is just music that can encompass any range of emotion it can be calm, relaxing like they say on the radio all the yeah. time, right? It can be exciting, it can be tragic, it can be horrifying. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's operas where, you know, where op, in operas people get murdered all the time, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's not just like people singing, but you know like they, they get stabbed and they're bleeding and they're on the ground, you know, or they they find, you know, uh, um, they're big love interest. I mean, like, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement in classical music. And this whole idea that it's snobby, I think, comes from this, uh, um, you know, in the concert hall, you need to be respectful or whatnot. But,
0: well, you know, I mean, you should you should pipe down so you can experience the music. I mean, we battle the same thing with wine. You know, folks yeah. have this perception that it is you know, a, a snobby um, thing that is hard to access, um, which it should not be. You know, it should be very accessible. So I'm glad to hear you say YouTube. Yeah, definitely. And for those of you folks who might be um, tuning into the podcast when this is posted, just back up about a minute or so and listen to all those names that um, Ming just uh, rattled off and then go on YouTube and type them in and I think you'll see some wonderful performances. Now, something I love about, about classical music when I get to go is that to me, it's like theater of the mind. And I mean, it all tells a story, as you mentioned earlier. And... You know, sometimes I do enjoy watching the musicians do what they're doing 'cause there's a lot of energy and motion. But just closing the eyes, I mean just by hearing the music and the mood of the music you can kind of tell. Even if you don't know exactly what the composer was thinking, you can make up your own story even. And it, I, I find that very exciting.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about music is that, you know, we're such visual people. We take in so much information through our eyes. But, you know, just focusing on our ears and sounds is a completely different experience that you can really tap into a lot of fantastic emotions, stories. Yeah. And there are a lot of composers that have very specific stories. Strauss, Ricard Strauss, was famous for, as we call them, tone poems. But basically, they're like these epic Long stories that involve characters, and they were the precursors to things like, you know, in the movies. Every single time you hear, you see the bad guy, the bad guy theme comes in, right?
0: Usually and, in a minor key. Yeah,
2: in a minor key, yeah. or you know, like you know, there's a you know suspenseful you know uh, sound from the strings or whatnot, mm-hmm. and you know that idea of these ideas we call um, you know pervading through an entire thing came from a lot of these composers that had these stories in mind. You know, um, Berlioz, one of the most crazy composers around, he had this love interest. He was a mime, English mime doing Shakespeare and he was French and didn't speak a word of English and just fell in love with her, even though she wasn't speaking in this mime scene, you know, of Ophelia of Hamlet. It was just this really weird situation. Well, she rebuffed him, because this is this crazy French composer, and he wrote this entire symphony called the Symphonie Fantastique, the Fantastic Symphony, just this crazy silly name, the Fantastic symphony where he changes her her theme from a lovely theme into a witch at the very end Uh and on the way there's a march to the scaffold where you can actually hear the head rolling down it's a great i mean a crazy composer but you can actually see the progression you can hear the progression and it's this crazy idea from this composer at who at the time was known for these off-the-wall compositions maestro ming luke do go nuts for donuts. (laughs) I love donuts. (laughs) Well,
0: today's your lucky day. That big thump you heard was a big pink box of donuts. You can see there's a selection in there. I'd like you to take one of those donuts right now, pick it up, your selection. We're going to find out a little bit about you and your personality. Grab one of those. He's go. oh, my goodness, we are on a tear. I think we're in the 90th percentile now, the maple old-fashioned. You're here in (laughs) Napa Valley. It's a beautiful day, nibbling a uh, maple old-fashioned donut. What are you pairing with that? Usually I ask, you know, what are you drinking? What kind of glass of wine? But maybe what piece of music does that maple old-fashioned donut evoke?
2: So let me see. And we got to go quick. We're
0: running low on time.
2: First of all, for me, you know, with donuts, you know, apple cider has always been the good pair. And when you have something that's really comforting and homey like that, you know, I think I would want something like Brahms. And Brahms was this, you know, eccentric composer, very, very quiet. And when you listen to it, there's a sort of richness to it. And so when you have this very sweet uh, um, and, for me, nostalgic feeling when I have donuts, especially with cider, when I was growing up in New Jersey, there's, there's fantastic apple farms there. My favorite things was to get, you know, warm donuts, you know, fresh as well as apples. (laughs) Apple cider I would say Something like Brahms Like a slow movement From one of his symphonies
0: Okay man I'll take your word for it That sounds great I'm gonna go home And I'm gonna Actually there's another one In there I'm gonna (laughs) save that one For myself And go listen to some Brahms When I get back All right, and now It's time to play Everyone's favorite party game Here on Judd's Napa Valley show This Is Mad Libs That's right Lauren Mole. It's time to play Mad Libs With our guest Ming Luke So Ming It's time to play Mad Libs And I think you know How this works I'm going to ask you to fill in the blanks, and we'll take it from there. you ready? Sounds good. Okay. First, I'm going to need an adjective. adjective. Um, uh, let's do bouncy. <laughs> bouncy. I like that one. Um, I wish this were a video podcast. You could show me how you conduct bouncy <laughs> music. That would be good.
2: Okay. Another adjective. Um, let's maybe do something different. Uh, lugubrious. That's kind of the opposite
0: of bouncy, is it not? (laughs) Yeah. Lugubrious means kind of slow and... I always think mournful when I think... Yeah. Oh, no. Um, Okay. (laughs) So, uh, a noun. A noun. Um, Dog? Dog. A number. Any number. Any number? Any number. Uh, 4,093. 4,093. Uh, another number. Another number? Yeah. Um... Point three. Point three. Okay. Let's see how that works. Okay. And then uh, finally, a verb ending in ing. Verb ending. um, Basting. Basting. All right. We have filled in the blanks. And now, um, Ming, I was on your website earlier Uh and found a little (laughs) snippet of your bio which you have just now rewritten via our Judd's Napa Valley show, Mad Libs. Are you
2: ready? <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> okay, here we go. <clears throat> music director of Symphony Napa Valley and music and education director of the Lincoln Theater, conductor Ming Luke is rapidly establishing himself as a bouncy and <laughs> lugubrious conductor to watch. Man, you got both sides yeah, exactly. balancing it out. Equally talented as a ballet conductor... Luke has been the primary guest dog with the San Francisco (laughs) Ballet for the past 4,093 seasons. That sounds good to me. And conducted the company over 0.3 times at the San Francisco War Memorial. So you're climbing up. Well, I guess over 0.3 could be anything. Yeah. Among his degrees... Ming Luke holds a master of fine arts in basting from Carnegie Mellon <laughs> <laughs> University. So, you know, maybe I can get an invitation over to your house uh, around Thanksgiving or one of these holidays. Yeah, see how you baste. soon. <laughs> yeah. Get some of that professional basting that you've uh, <laughs> that you've become so famous for. You know, I want to thank you for coming in. It's really been a pleasure getting to hear your story, getting to know you a little better, seeing that somebody who's involved uh, here in the community and in the music just is so enthusiastic and's got a good sense of humor and is getting out into the community and is using music as a real teaching tool you know getting getting to touch the youth of our community through music it's it's wonderful so yeah well thank on you on behalf of the community thank you yeah thank you yeah thank you <laughs> all right we'll catch you soon in the meantime i want to thank you very much ming luke of symphony napa valley conductor extraordinaire for coming and sharing your excitement and your enthusiasm for our community for music it's just cool i can't wait to get in and see you guys the next opportunity is This coming uh, Sunday, October 6th, lincolntheater.com for tickets. Lauren, you've been listening to Judd's
1: Napa Valley Show with Vintner Judd Fingelstein. Judd's Napa Valley Show.